This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the pressure ramps up on Fiji and Samoa, who are back in action again at the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series, this time in Vancouver. Also, the wait is over for Samoan youngster Miracle Failangi, who will make his Super Rugby debut tomorrow in Melbourne. We locked a lot of what we saw with Miracle, and he's obviously earned that contract and come over and been outstanding through the preseason. And, um, yeah, he's going he's gonna to be on the park this week against uh, the Chiefs of Melbourne. And you've heard of snowboarding. Well, what about volcano boarding? It's- oh, it's going so fast! We'll teach you all about that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. So glad to have your company. But first, not much tends to be made about preseason results. However, tomorrow's rugby league clash between the PNG Hunters and the Kaiviti Silk Tails in Fiji won't be an ordinary trial game. It will be the inaugural Melanesian Bowl, and it will finally get underway in Singatoka after it was washed out last year. The match will mark the final hit out for the Hunters before they kick off the Queensland Rugby League season. Meanwhile, for the Silk Tails, it will be a chance to test their might against a national second-tier side before they begin their third season in the New South Wales Ron Massey Cup. Talia Olatea has the report. It took a once-in-a-century weather event, the Brisbane floods, to derail last year's pre-season clash between the PNG Hunters and the Kaiviti Silktails. Now, the anticipated meeting will finally go ahead when the inaugural Melanesian Bowl gets underway in Fiji. In what Silktails coach Wes Nangama hopes will be the first of many. The concept was brought up last year uh, with, with PNG Hunters and ourselves. You know, we've got the same sort of fall under the same banner with uh, with our major sponsors with Pacific Osports. It's a good opportunity for, for the two nations to, you know, to come together, playing again with, with, uh, with such significance. But a lot of these boys, um, you know, their, their aspirations is to play for, for Fiji Bati. You know, the, the reality of it is not, not not everyone will get that opportunity. So, you know, in regards to sort of test match footy, it's probably as, as close as it comes. It will be just the second trial game for the Silk Tails, who are gearing up for the start of the Ron Massey Cup season. For the Hunters, it will mark the last hit out before the Queensland Rugby League season gets underway next weekend, and Mr Nangama doesn't expect to pull any punches. They're playing a higher competition than us, a higher level competition. They play in the Queensland Cup, whereas we play in the Ron Massey Cup. Uh, which is the third, third tier comp in Sydney. They're, they're fielding their strongest team. Um, I'm going to try and field close to my strongest team as well. Plus, you know, plus a few guys that I still want to have another look at. You know, I, I feel that just off the back of that, it will, it'll be a really closely contested game, a physical one, uh, but one one you know that's going to be um, you know good for the, good for the spectators and you know good for good for both clubs with, uh, with this being our last hit out before before we start our competitions. The match will also be just the second time the Silk Tails have played on home turf since 2020, who, like the Hunters, were forced to base themselves in Australia during the COVID pandemic. But in some good news for Silk Tail fans, Mr Nangama says they'll play eight games in Fiji this season. We actually got out. Our first first trial game was here in Latoka last week. You know, it was a big moment for the club. We haven't been able to bring a game back to Fiji since 2020 when we were our first when we. Um, in our inaugural year, we had our first game 
here in Latoka, 2020 round one against Windsor Wolves. So for guys that have been in the program for a couple of years now, the fact that they've uh, been able to bring a game home um, in such a such a big big game like it will be this weekend um, in Singatoka, I know they'll have the full uh, full support of you know all their family and friends that haven't had the opportunity to come watch them. So I'm just been back here since uh, we started the pre-season. Been great to sort of just engage within the community and all the local businesses and uh, you know people around us. Uh, you know, they're just creating a lot of interest of uh, who we are, what what we're about. The club's return follows a row between the Silk Tails and the Fiji National Rugby League after no players from last year's Silk Tails squad were named in the Fijian national side. Silk Tails chief executive Steve Driscoll says preparations for the Melanesian Bowl have improved relations between the club and the governing body. This mediation process between us and them sort of started back last year in, in, in June, July. We've been working through a number of different things. The communication's been really strong. The eight games that are to be staged in Fiji have, have been agreed upon to go ahead. We're going to be working closely with them you know, in terms of running the event. So it's a really good opportunity. I think if, if Fiji is to fulfil its potential as a rugby league nation, you know, we do have a, a considerable advantage over the other island nations. Our in-country competitions are strong. Obviously, there's the Vodafone Cup. Fiji Secondary Schools is, is, is getting stronger and stronger with their competitions. And obviously, with us, our franchises playing out of Fiji in the New South Wales competition. That, along with um, all the Fijian talent playing across the various NRL and New South Wales and Q Cup teams, uh, is a, there's a real opportunity to grow the pie, so to speak. And he says he's looking forward to working with the newly appointed Fiji Bharti coach, Wise Kati Verata. He's really keen to work closely with us. Uh, yeah, we're Really, really well resourced in Fiji. We've been able to set up across Fiji and Australia. We've set up seven high performance training facilities in the last two years. Being able to have, uh, for Wise to have access to that, um, I think will be a real benefit for obviously what he's trying to achieve from a from a Bati perspective. And obviously for us, you know, the just makes sense that we're all we're all back working together and 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 making Fiji as good as it can be on the rugby league pitch. That was Kabiti Silktail's boss Steve Driscoll ending that report by Talia Olatea. And speaking of rugby league, the NRL season kicked off last night with several Pacific players taking the field, two of whom scored tries. Tonga's Will Penasini scored the first try of the season for Parramatta, while young Tunamapia crossed for the Melbourne Storm to help them clinch a 16-12 victory. It's good to see him back in the NRL. And there'll be plenty more in action this weekend, including Isaiah Katoa, who will make his debut against the Roosters. We wish him all the best, as well as Fiji Bati player Api Korosiao, who will captain the West Tigers. Pacific Beat. Well, after a slow start, the Fiji men are back in the top four of the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series after claiming bronze at last week's tournament in LA. But they'll need another solid performance to stay in Olympic contention when the next round of the series kicks off tomorrow in Vancouver. A top four finish is required to qualify for the Paris Games. And as things stand, Fiji is only just clinging on to fourth place on 84 points, while Samoa is hot on their heels with 81. Meanwhile, the Fiji women are currently sixth in the standings, 16 points behind Ireland and France. To get a clearer picture of how the series is shaping up, FBC Head of News and Sport Indra Singh has phoned in from Fiji. Indra, welcome. Bolovinaka, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Very good, very good. Now, back-to-back bronze medal finishes for Fiji. How important is this weekend for the men? 
Oh, you know, um, uh, the, let's let's start it off this way. When Fiji doesn't win a tournament, it becomes a big issue because you know, automatically people think every time Fiji takes the field in sevens, they have to win the tournament or have to win the tournament they are playing in. But of course, um, a bit of pressure they have managed to sneak up to fourth position um, in that race for the Olympics, but they have to lift uh, their performance. So. This weekend's tournament, they haven't won a uh, gold medal as yet in the uh, tournaments played this season so far. So a big one coming up uh, this weekend, in particular for players who coach Ben Gollings will be looking at uh, for later this season and beyond. Yeah, they were unlucky not to win gold last weekend, I thought. They you know, just went down to Argentina, who went on to win the series um, from memory. What interested me, interested me about last week is they really shook things up with those, uh, those four debutantes. Was that the, the change they needed to kick them into gear, do you think? One thing that I'd say is uh, talking to a lot of uh, rugby pundits uh, here, former reps, etc., we can't, we, we've made another four changes for this tournament. So the question remains is, are we going to continuously be making changes? Now, if you look at uh, the New Zealand Sevens team um, that's, that's been doing so well on the circuit uh, and the likes of the Argentinians, they're keeping the core of their team. Yes, the players, we've got uh, talent at uh, disposal, like no tomorrow. Uh, Fiji can pick uh, maybe five or six teams to play in the series. But again, it's all about building combinations. But on the other hand, those new boys well, at least uh, one or two of them did really show us that they are made of um, you know, great metal and they could be uh, forced to reckon with should they get more game time during the remainder of the season. But again, um, the take is not too many changes should be brought in for every uh, leg of the series. Now, the Fiji skipper, Tevita Dangunu, spoke out during the week. Uh, he has his own theories about what has plagued the side, uh, what plagued the side against Argentina. I'll play you that now. I believe last week, uh, I mean, uh, weakness uh, was uh, kickoff. The kickoff is uh, it's, uh, like a game starter. We really let in the kickoff against uh, Argentina, and that was the uh, main area they really attack us. And uh, if we end it well, uh, this week will be a different story. So he's talking about the kickoffs there, and they haven't really been benefiting uh, Fiji as of late. Would you agree with that? Yeah, most definitely. don't have the tall timber like the likes of, uh, in recent times, Talazolo, uh, who used to play for Fiji. We don't have those likes of the players in the past. Uh, we've got Joshua Vakranambuli, but he doesn't really um, have that uh, acceleration upwards when the need arises. So, yeah, uh, definitely. But I, I think while the skipper, of course, he's got expertise and he knows what the team uh, is lacking, I also feel from time to time that individualism comes in where Fijians are renowned for playing very well when they play by themselves, and they can create something out of nothing. Um, a little bit of tweaks here and there by Ben Ryan, uh, not Ben Ryan, sorry, uh, Ben Gollings and uh, William Satala should should get the team, I think, in tune. But one thing's for sure, they improved last week, and uh, once they're going to go just on the improvement uh, track and go upwards, um, they're going to be a very, very scary team to take on, as as, as many know. Yeah, well, that was my next question. You know, they're back in the top four now, so you've you got to think they'll be feeling a little bit more relaxed. But, you know, they still haven't won that, 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 that gold medal. That, that, they haven't had that series win yet. Do you think that's, that the pressure is going to still be on them until they can finally get that win and get that monkey off the back, so to speak? Yeah, most definitely. You need to get that monkey off the back. Because, because for Fiji, when they play in a series uh, every time, as I mentioned earlier on, they need to win. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this weekend uh, it will happen for them. Uh, it won't. But, but I think the biggest, biggest, um, uh, uh, the biggest surprise, oh, sorry, it's not a surprise, we've known it for a while, but 
the biggest uh, closing in gap has been that every other team that you play against, you look at Uruguay last week against South Africa, mm. you can't underestimate any teams anymore. And Argentina, you know, for the past seven, eight, nine years, uh, Santiago Gomez Cora, the Argentinian coach, has just been building. They had never had any luck or much luck until up until last season into this season. Australia, they won the series last year with a lot of young players, but it takes time. And so the other teams have closed the gap on Fiji. They need to do something different. They need to create more magic, I believe. And that magic needs to come this weekend because most definitely the pressure builds as much as not having to qualify for the Olympics, should that happen. But also, if they don't win a tournament, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that Fiji will be the Olympics, but will they win a tournament on this series? Um, well, that's, that's another question. Well, Kenya, Uruguay and Great Britain up first uh, for Fiji. And you're listening to the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat. I'm talking with FBC uh, uh, Head of News and Sport, uh, Indra Singh. We're discussing the World Rugby 7 Series in Vancouver tomorrow. Indra, let's move on to the women quickly. They're currently sitting sixth uh, in the standing, 16 points behind Ireland and France. Can they still turn things around or do you think they're a little bit too far back in the standings to, to really sort of make a run at that that final Olympic spot? Well, look, the women have always, um, you know, they've, they've created shocks. They they have created upsets when the need arises. But of course, they are under pressure. And as you mentioned, uh, sitting uh, at the moment in sixth sport with uh, 36 points, they need to win a couple of tournaments. Well, not, uh, maybe make a finals of a couple of tournaments. They haven't made any bronze playoffs or silver or gold uh, for this season so far. Uh, CRC Puli definitely knows that he needs to uh, put in uh, more work in getting the women because when they did play in the Olympics the last time they played in the um, tournaments, they did perform. So, I mean, mind you, they've lost a couple of their players from the previous uh, uh, season. So, uh, some hard work ahead of them. Not too far off, I'd say. If they can put in a, some, a few good shifts and finish in the top four, in some of the tournaments coming up, I think they can close the gap on France, which is on 52 points in fourth place. So, um, you know, doable, doable. Uh, but uh, I think the uh, alarm bells will really start ringing should they not be in the top four or top five uh, come towards the end of the latter part of the season. Yeah, look, uh, they have lost some players, which is, which is always tough. But uh, is it safe to say they've probably performed a little bit below um, expectations so far? No, most definitely. I agree with you on that. I mean, we the, based on what we've seen these women play at the World Cups and the uh, Olympics and how they've pushed the bigger nations like New Zealand and Australia and Great Britain and Canada uh, to the wire, uh, they're capable of doing better. But then again, as I said, a number of new girls coming in, a number of new women coming in. Um, it's going to take time, but uh, again, Fiji Sevens, you don't know what happens in any tournament that they take part in. Perhaps this weekend could be a changing, um, you know, could be a change in tide for the side, but but uh, yeah, most definitely that more than others, the players themselves, the team themselves, the coaching staff will be disappointed with what they've achieved so far. I'm pretty sure they've set goals to try and achieve uh, more than what they have so far. And uh, and just quickly before we go, uh, back to the men, Samoa, who in a lot of ways have been the surprise story of the series. They've got Spain, the US uh, and New Zealand up first this weekend. Do you think they could uh, find their, find themselves back in the top four after the, after the weekend's done? Uh, look, uh, you know, when you've got a coach like uh, Bradley Ma, the chiropractor from his playing days, um, <laughs> you, you you can't underestimate this. Someone they've been fantastic, haven't they? They have put in uh, Samoa for the past four or five years has just barely survived the top 
chain uh, placements, etc. But this season, they they have been you know they've they've been putting in that shift. They want to play in the Olympics. They are only about uh, three points behind Fiji. They have uh, you know won uh, in Cape Town against all odds. They haven't had any luck after, since then in Hamilton, Sydney, in Los Angeles, and in Vancouver with the support base. Um, they'll they'll be looking to go on better and with. Uh, with a coaching staff such as that, I mean, it is going to be interesting because, you know, there's a little Pacific battle going on between Fiji and Samoa, fourth and fifth. Yeah, it's interesting. They've, they've really won the, the hearts and minds, uh, haven't they, haven't they, Samoa? But um, anyway, Indra, thanks very much for, for joining us today. We all can't wait to, uh, to see what happens and uh, look forward to having you on Pacific Beat again next time. No, most definitely, and also Super Rugby is on this weekend in Melbourne, so hope everyone enjoys it. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. That was Indra Singh, uh, Head of News and Sport at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, it's Super Round in the Super Rugby this weekend, with Melbourne set to host all 12 clubs in the one city for the first time ever. Six matches will be played over the weekend, all of which will feature a side from either side of the Tasman. The Fiji Endura will hope for a second win in as many weeks when they face the New South Wales Waratahs tomorrow, while Moana Pacifica will hope to bounce back against the Chiefs after a last-minute loss against the Endura last week. Painful as it was... Coach Aaron Major said there was still plenty to like in their opening round performance and it bodes well ahead of their history-making match in Samoa in April. Oh, well, look, we're definitely much better prepared than what we were first time up. We've had a, had a proper pre-season and you can see by the, the output and the capacity certainly increased from our boys. So we're going to be you know, competitive for, for 80 minutes now. Last year, that was probably 40 to 60 minutes at best on some days, so... Yeah, definitely in a much better position, and I think that was reflected in the quality of the game. I thought the, the draw have definitely stepped up as well. So I mean, both teams are certainly going to cause um, some trouble for, for any, any team in this competition. Yeah, so only the two wins for you guys last season. What have you set your expectations for uh, this season? Have you set a target or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. No, we're expecting to be in a position to win more than two games, that's for sure. You know, if we win sort of between four and six, you're, you're playing... Uh, quarter-final rugby, and that's certainly something we've got our, our sights set on. And uh, you get into a position there, then anything's possible beyond that. So we've certainly got the, the people, I think, within our whole organisation to create that opportunity. Now it's just about putting it down the field week after week and uh, seeing how far we can go. Yeah, well, one of the exciting elements uh, about this season is uh, you'll be bringing the game uh, to Samoa, the first uh, Super Rugby game, I believe, that's ever going to be played within the country. That's going to happen come April. Is that a milestone you guys have circled on the calendar? Oh, it's a huge milestone and a, and a huge celebration uh, for us to be able to take a game up to Samoa. You know, the team for uh, Samoa and Tongan and Pacific Island people actually played on home soil. Was, um, it's going to be huge. I know that's all of our... The whole organisation and, and the players are really looking forward to uh, getting up and, and representing up, up there. So, you know, it's, it's going to be epic. Yeah, and I imagine form-wise, that you're probably really building towards that game, aren't you? Because I imagine, you know, potentially going over there and getting a history-making win would be something that, you know, you could tell your grandkids about, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. Look, we, we're um, preparing our team to, to win games of rugby every week, no matter where it is, but... Yeah, we certainly want to uh, present at our best, you know, both on and off the field and give the Samoan community a good feeling of, of what this team's about and, and how much it means to be representing our Pacific people. So, yeah, great opportunity to, to take the game there and, and, and give them a, a proper touch point. 
Okay, and speaking of uh, Samoa and Pacific Island people, I guess one of the big uh, stories for you guys uh, within the off-season was the, was the signing of, of literally probably the best name in professional sports in uh, Miracle Fowalagi. Didn't feature last week. Can we expect to see him this week? Yeah, Miracle Fowalagi, yeah, he's been an awesome addition to our, our squad. Um, obviously fresh from um, Samoa out of, out of the combine where myself, uh, Fiddle Ted there and, and Kevin Sindio, our rugby director, we're fortunate enough to attend and yeah, we, we, we locked a lot of what we saw with Miracle and he's obviously earned that contract and come over been outstanding through the preseason and um, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be on the park this week against uh, the Chiefs in Melbourne. So yeah, really looking forward to making his debut and he's he's in that opportunity and uh, he's he's ready to go. Yeah, that will be uh, really exciting for people to watch. And I know you noticed you mentioned Melbourne there as well. You're currently in the airport right now. That's where we're having a chat. You're about to fly to uh, to Melbourne. Every game's going to be played in Melbourne uh, this week. I understand. What, what do you make of that? A bit of a bit of a festival of, of rugby. Yeah, I think it's a great concept. I think it's a really good way to uh, advertise the game and, and create a bit of energy around having the super round. And I know that um, that we were actually in Melbourne last year. Didn't unfortunately didn't get to play the game. The force we were supposed to play uh, weren't able to, to make it, so it'd be nice to actually be a part of the rugby this year. We just spectators last year <laughs> went along and, and toured the scenes, but you uh, great concept, and, and we're looking forward to getting out on the field on Saturday against the Chiefs. Yeah, and, ju- and just on the Chiefs, uh, I mean they're typically a pretty good team in this competition. Third place last season. What, what do you make of the of the matchup? Yeah, well, they've been pretty sharp through the preseason. We actually played them three weeks ago in the preseason, and they've had a good first up win in the competition against the Crusaders down there so look we're well aware of um, the quality that we're up against but look we're preparing our boys to go out and, and have a good crack and um, ultimately our yeah, goal is to try and win as many games as we can in this competition and see where we end up and it's no different this week and there's certainly no fear from from our boys there's a lot of respect around the challenge but um, there's no fear and look, we'll throw everything at it and, and um, yeah, see where it takes us. Moana Pacifica head coach Aaron Major speaking to me there a short time ago. And as he mentioned, good luck to Miracle Failangi, who will make his Super Rugby debut tomorrow against the Chiefs. It's that time of the morning where we're going to jet set around the Pacific to find out what's making headlines around the region. And to do that, I'm joined by... Producer Jordan Fennell, who was really vibing that last song as well. <laughs> I absolutely love that song um, by Small Island, a big song, Tawatama. It's such a vibe, um, but so good to be in the studio with you. It is, it is. Now, first to Vanuatu, uh, ahead of a second cyclone coming through, they've also been struck uh, by an earthquake. That doesn't sound good. What's the latest there? Yeah, so early this morning, just after 5am local time, a magnitude 6.8 earthquake, which is very large, um, struck just west of Vanuatu. The U.S. Geological Survey says it happened about 10 kilometres below uh, the Earth's surface, and the U.S. Tsunami Warning System has advised, thankfully, that there is no tsunami warning active at the moment. But as you said, this comes just a day after Cyclone Judy sent heavy rain and gale force winds Mm. across Vanuatu. Um, The government there has now declared a state of emergency following the damage that's occurred. But... They're not going to have very long to clean up any of that damage because now, less than 24 hours later, they're facing 
a second cyclone called Cyclone Kevin. Uh, it's currently a Category 2 cyclone, is forecasted to reach Category 3, and it is travelling straight towards Vanuatu. Oh, God. I mean, April usually marks the end of cyclone season. We're in March now, so we're almost getting there, but it always feels like it's uh, it's right at the end of the season where uh, the, the worst stuff tends to hit. Um on to the Solomon Islands now, but some happy developments following uh, Cyclone Judy, surprisingly. The uh, the missing passengers, passengers from a capsized boat have been found, it seems. That's right. This uh, story coming from the Solomon Islands Times. All passengers from that boat were actually able to swim to safety after it capsized and made it to shore. So this happened, you know, um, Cyclone Judy not only affecting Vanuatu, also affecting Solomon Islands, wild weather, completely battering it. And while that was happening, it was reported that a small boat had capsized between Honiara and Central Province on a boat that had children on board. And it was looking pretty dicey there for a little bit. A rescue team had been dispatched to find them. Uh, but while they were looking, they could there were no reports of survivors and it was looking pretty grim. But I'm sure a sigh of relief from all friends and family now um, that it's been reported that they have made it to safety, managed to swim to different islands. Um, how they did that, I am so impressed because in the middle of a cyclone swimming through ocean water... Um, but like I said, with Vanuatu, that uh, fear of cyclones is is not over yet because Cyclone Kevin is also about to bear down on Solomon Islands. That's incredible. So they swum through choppy. How long? How far did they swim? Was it like a kilometer or something? You reckon? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, they made it to a couple. They were split up and managed to make it to shore on a couple of different islands. Um, and yeah, pretty amazing rescue story. Well, they rescued themselves. They managed to do it. Um, so a good news story coming out of out of all that cyclone news. Yeah. Well, well, if there's a lesson there, it's uh, put your kids into swimming lessons because you never know when they might be called upon uh, to use it. We never know when you might have to swim through a cyclone to, uh, yeah, exactly. to swim yourself <laughs> to safety. Yeah, and uh, and just finally today, Jordan, uh, some more good news for uh, for movie and TV lovers in the Pacific. Netflix is eyeing the region as a place to grow and deliver cheaper subscription services. What's this about? Yeah, so this story coming out of the Samoa Observer: seven Pacific countries are being targeted by Netflix, Fiji, PNG. Samoa, Solomon Islands, Tonga, Tuvalu and Vanuatu are all on that list for expansion and cheaper prices. It comes off the back of an, of an announcement from the new CEO of Netflix, Greg Peters, um, who is looking at different target markets that he says they have not deeply penetrated yet and also comes amidst the streaming wars that have just been going on generally. Obviously, these days, you know, Netflix was the OG of streaming services. <laughs> um, now we've got Disney, we've got Binge, we've got Stan. There's just so many around the world. Um, you know, I can't keep up with the subscription. So, and also in Australia, we have much higher prices now. They're hiking prices in a couple of countries. So I'm quite jealous of the fact that the Pacific is going to get cheaper prices. Um, But when Netflix goes into a country, usually they uh, acquire local content or commission local content. We have that happening here in Australia. And I'd be fascinated to see whether or not that's going to happen in the Pacific amongst Pacific countries. Um, If that did happen, though, I'm wondering, Kyle, is there a story that you would want to see told, a Pacific story that could be commissioned locally, you know, if it did ever? end up on Netflix. I feel like I've said this a few times uh, around the newsroom, and yes, there is, as you know, I'm a history buff, Pacific Relic Hunters. Mm. That's that's what I want to see happen. Obviously, so much history throughout the Pacific dating back centuries, most recently, obviously, World War II, so many planes and ships and shipwrecks, you know, around places like Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. Yeah, I'd love to see a, a boat thinking, travel around. And... Okay, cool, like reality documentary? 
yeah, reality documentary. Maybe some of them are haunted. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a horror story yeah, at the same time. Bringing remains back, back to back to the families of, of returned servicemen and stuff who've been, you know, missing in action for eighty years. Um, look, Netflix. If you're listening, I'm actually available. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I am currently obsessed with the TV show Drive to Survive on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is a sort of reality doco looking at the Formula One series and what happens to the drivers and the teams. Um, and I feel like that uh, structure could be applied to the Fijiana. I just feel like the Fijiana have the most amazing, beautiful story of their rugby story. And to see their journey, um, you know, winning, winning their medals and then coming back home and how they're celebrated and then they try again now what they're working up to. I just feel like that would be perfect. So that's, that's my <laughs> pick if we were to do that. Um, but yeah, good news coming out of the Pacific with that. Great news. We cannot wait to see what happens. Jordan Fennell, thank you very much for joining us. No worries. That will- It's Friday, March 3, and you are listening to the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat. It's a footy edition again in many ways with so much happening across all the rugby codes around the Pacific, but we're going to switch things up for the second half of the show. We'll check in with one of Australia's top young Indigenous cricketers who hopes to lead the national squad through Vanuatu later this year. We'll also learn about volcano surfing and catch up with Tia Rocco to to recap all the big stories of the week. Inzane Rugby League on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by ABC Sport commentator Zane Bojack. Inzane Rugby League is a weekly look at the lighter side of rugby league. Featuring game insights, latest news and interviews with rugby league legends and from around the edges. So close to the action, you can almost taste the turf. Inzane Rugby League, Tuesday nights at 6pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Your home of rugby league in the Pacific. Well, Australia's best young Indigenous cricketers took to the pitch in Alice Springs this week in hopes of being crowned the National Indigenous Champions. But an even bigger prize is now up for grabs later this year. The tournament's top players will be selected into the Australian Indigenous squad, which will tour Vanuatu for a four-game series in May. It will mark the first time an Australian Indigenous side has toured the Pacific, and New South Wales captain Tyron Lydiard will be among those in line for selection after touring England with the Indigenous side in 20. 2019. I caught up with him during the week. You've obviously done it all before. You you were part of that team that toured England. I think you were telling me off air that you guys won five out of six games, which is really yeah. impressive. And I think the thing about England, they're, they're very much a developed nation when it comes to cricket. I mean, let's face it, they invented the sport. This time around, it'll be a bit different. You're going to a country which is very much, I guess, a developing nation when it comes to cricket. Are you excited for the potential prospect to not only compete against them, but to potentially help them improve as a nation? I think for me, going over there obviously is an amazing experience, but just to be able to, you know, meet new people and again, be in a, in a situation where there's a different culture, I think it'll be an awesome opportunity to learn about the culture and, you know, help them as cricketers as well. You know, we're all developing. We're all trying to become the perfect cricketers we can be. And that's just another stepping stone for, you know, young people to develop their game, me, myself included. But not only that as well, as connect a different type of person as well, you know. I think it would be unreal to... You know, meet some new people, talk about cricket, talk about culture, but then at the same time compete really hard and play four good games of cricket. I personally love the idea of cricket in the Pacific and in the tropics. What kind of impact could that kind of climate have on the pitch over there, do you think? That's that's a really good point too. Is We're going to be playing, hopefully, if I get picked on, on wickets that are very different to home. And that's been a challenge up here too, you know, being from Sydney, 
coming to Alice Springs, the, the wickets are quite different. So I think being tropical there, there might be a little bit of pace in it. It might, it might turn a bit as well to the humidity. It'll be very interesting to see how it goes and also to see how we players adapt to the wickets. That would be the obviously advantage for Vanuatu, knowing that how the wickets play and playing there, they'll be a lot more comfortable on the wickets. But it'll be good for us to, you know, see the wickets, adapt to it, and try and perform under different conditions than what we're used to. And you personally, have, have you ever encountered the Vanuatu national team before? Do you know much about them? Do they tend to develop pretty good players? Yeah, they're very they're very athletic. And I feel like those sort of, those nations, they, they are quite athletic people. I know like the Fijians, we're seeing a lot of Fijians now in rugby league. They're, they're, they've got athletic bodies. They're normally quite quite big and muscly and fast. I know their fielding is very, very good. Um, they have a very good fielding unit because they just they run hard. You know, they catch everything. They've got a lot of energy. And they're very spin dominant. So they have a lot of very good spinners who bowl into the wicket, bowl quite fast and don't really give you any whip so you can hit. And then with the with the batting, they have a lot of power hitters, like strong boys who, who hit the ball hard. So we're going to have to play well to win. I still back us in, but I think it's going to be really good games of cricket, which will be good. And it'll be a different type of, I guess, atmosphere, playing in different conditions, different weather, and on different wickets. So it'll be a really good challenge for the for the boys. Crickets, it's in an interesting time at the moment. I think it's very much evolving in some ways. We're seeing a lot more short-format cricket get played. Do you think that format is more attractive to developing nations trying to enter the game? Yeah, 100%, mate. I, I think T20 cricket is the way of the future. As we see around the world, it, it generates a lot of money. It's very popular. Obviously, we have like the IPL, the 100, obviously the Big Bash in Australia. There's a 2020 league in Pakistan, South Africa. Like There's 2020s being played all around the world. And the beauty of it is it only goes for three hours. So it's a lot more, I guess, easier to watch for the fan who is not as big on cricket. So like someone who you know might not watch as much cricket can, can get around the 2020s. There's a lot of big hitting, fast bowling, Lots of running, like it's very entertaining and it generates big money. So I think for Vanuatu, for example, I think 2020s are the way to go. Um, and, and the body build and the way they play, I think 2020s are their their best format. Something that in the future they can really strive to achieve really big things in. So for Vanuatu and those countries and those areas, I think the 2020 cricket is definitely the way of the future. I feel like it really, really suits those those real athletes, the ones that you know jump around and take a really good catch, like a diving catch one-hander and can hit big sixes and they're the sort of things that, you know, the fans wants to watch. So I think that it's it's awesome that, you know, 2020 cricket is there and is available and provides opportunities. And just lastly, before we go today, Tyron, I know you'd love to be in Vanuatu. Do you think you've you've done enough to showcase your worth so far this tournament? I hope so, mate. I hope so. It's been, it, I, I'd like to have gone a little bit better. It's definitely been shared. And, you know, I think that's a good thing, especially like with New South Wales, the fact that we can all be successful, you know, is an amazing thing. I feel like I've done enough when in terms of grade cricket and New South Wales second eleven, which is which definitely helped. But as I said, I, I feel like I'm a bit hard on myself. But that's the beauty of twenty twenty cricket is that, you know, anyone on their day can, can stand up and do a job, which I think is an amazing thing because you can have two or three people, you know, win you a game of cricket and it and it gives others an opportunity to excel as well. It's been amazing to be able to captain the boys and just because, you know, it can be a difficult thing especially when you're playing with some guys that you've never played with before. So, you know, to lead that has been an awesome experience. But for me, it, it's more about helping the team win, doing my role. So hopefully I've done that. That was New South Wales Indigenous Cricket Captain Tyron Lydiard speaking to me there. And it's worth pointing out that New South Wales did win the national title on Tuesday night for a remarkable fourth time in a row. 
Well, you may have heard of snowboarding, but how about volcano boarding? Yes, it's an extreme sport first started decades ago by an American journalist on Vanuatu's active volcano, Mount Yasor. Today, it's got enthusiasts all around the world, many travelling to far-flung countries just to luge between the molten lava. Priyanka Srinivasan has the report. We're here on the island of Tana in Vanuatu, and this is the most famous landmark uh, right behind us. This is Mount Yasser. It's not for the faint of heart, but for adrenaline junkies, sliding down the side of a volcano is a unique high that can't be matched. Look, two, three. (laughs) Volcano boarding, sometimes called volcano surfing, is just like it sounds, skiing through the fine black ash and pumice that coats the sides of volcanoes. Tourists head to sites around the world for the tectonic thrill, often using snowboards or specially designed sandboards for the adventure. And in Vanuatu, the reported birthplace of volcano surfing, the sport is still alive. Charlie Williams is a tourist operator on Tanna Island. I've been there to the volcano and I saw some uh, some tourists are coming and, and asked the volcano office to go and surf. On the volcano. Charlie says he hasn't taken to the black slopes of Mount Yasur himself, but he has heard of other locals doing so. Many of our local people are going, they have their own ski boat. Uh, they go with uh, their surfboard to the volcano and they surf here. Some of the local people do are going with the uh, tourists. Today, tourism operators around the world, from Nicaragua to Italy and Japan, try to attract thrill-seeking tourists to surf their volcanoes. Some are dormant, but many enthusiasts find sliding down active volcanoes as the true expression of the sport. A lot of the danger is either in poisonous gases, that was the big danger up there, or in in falling lava bombs. Zoltan Ishvan is credited with inventing volcano boarding when he produced this report for National Geographic more than 20 years ago. In the tiny South Pacific country of Vanuatu. But that's where we find snowboarder Zoltan Istvan searching for the ultimate adventure. I stopped in Tana in 1995 with my sailboat and um, went to the top of the volcano. At, at that time, it was already a tourist destination, at least for adventurers. I mean, Vanuatu even now doesn't have much tourism. But And when I was there, I even had a guy, and we, uh, he gave me a tiny piece of wood. And because I, I told him, I said, has anyone gone down this? He said, no, we don't go down. We just kind of look, you know, walk up it. And I said, well, let me try going down. And this was like very early. I don't want to call this formally starting volcano boarding because it really wasn't. First, I went on my butt and the wood was too small to actually stand comfortably on. But I knew that it worked just based on this this bit of sledding experience. And I knew that someday I'd have to come back. Come back he did, this time with a camera. Approximately seven years later in 2002, uh, I got a job uh, out of college for National Geographic, uh, the channel, and I told them about the story. They said, Zolt, go do it. And this sounds like a great story. And that's how volcano boarding was born. And a lot of interest in volcano boarding kind of stemmed from that because, I mean, there are, after all, you know, tens of millions of snowboarders around the world. Smoke rising. Underneath me, the earth is shaking. Zoltan says the experience is very similar to snowboarding, but there are some notable differences. So the slope that I was going down, the main thing was to actually swerve around the lava bombs. Sometimes they were the size of a giant rock, maybe a meter across. 
Other times they were just the you know size of your fist. But either way, you didn't want to hit them with your snowboard because they're super sharp. Mm. And and the other thing is that behind you, when these volcanoes exploding, which happens about every two to three to seven minutes, um, it shoots up all this pumice and all this rock. And if the rock hits you when it goes up a half mile into the air or whatever, however far it goes, maybe it's a thousand meters, it will absolutely kill you. And I also tried this in Papua New Guinea and Rabul. They also have a, a, a very active volcano. Um, if you if, if something's exploding and you're worried about something falling on you like a molten rock, uh, and some of these molten bombs are like literally the size of Volkswagens, they can be giants, um, then you you it's incredibly dangerous. But if you're just going down kind of a, maybe a dormant volcano on the pumice, then, you know, that's, of course, volcano boarding, but not very exciting. So I think people need to differentiate between those two. I know it was, you know, 20 years ago that you first started it and even longer when you first had the idea. Do you feel still feel connected to volcano boarding? Would you do it again? Um, do you hope to see it grow, the movement grow and more people to uh, take to volcanoes? Yeah, I would love it. First off, I think it's really good just to get out in nature and see that kind of like danger. I mean, that's the whole fun of this extreme sport. At the same time, uh, let me just be a little uh, a little party pooper in, in a way, because I was uh, ESPN had approached me about doing volcano boarding. And I got to be honest with you, in Vanuatu, it's so dangerous. And now I have two young children that my wife and I discussed. And we said, you know what? And are, are you really going to go do something like this again? You've already done it um, just for television. Let the young kids do it who don't have wives and mortgages and children. But I do know that the sport is growing around the world. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more interest in it as people discover new volcanoes uh, everywhere and, and really realize this is, a, this is a great extreme sport. Journalist and inventor of volcano boarding, Zoltan Ishvan, speaking there to reporter Priyanka Srinivasan. Pacific Beat. This is the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat, and it's another action-packed week of news as the new footy season takes hold across the Pacific. And who better to help us unpack it than friend of the show, Tia Rocco, Pacific Sports Journalist and Administrator of the Fiji Rugby Facebook Group. Tia, welcome back to Pacific Beat. Good morning, Bulavinaka and Pacific greetings from Galawinku, Carl. So exciting to be hearing updates of sport throughout the region, especially volcano boarding. Yeah, no, amazing, isn't it? It's uh, it's look, it's that time of year. It's my favourite type of year with uh, with footy season coming along. But it's always awesome to hear, hear stories like that, which you just you would never otherwise hear about. Um, <laughs> first, now to rugby union. Big news out of the FRU: the Flying Fijians have a new man at the helm. Who is it? Yes, finally, great news on the Fiji end with the appointment of a head coach, Simon Raywa-Lui. So he was announced on Wednesday last week, then on Friday was the announcement of the four assistant coaches, Kyle. Yeah, incredible. So four assistant coaches are headlined by uh, Setamaya Bai, the, the, the great fly half who's going to come aboard. What do you think? Good move? Yes, a very good move. Uh, look, uh, Carl, Raiwa Lui is a man of not so many words. He's tactful and certainly a survivor in the Fiji rugby complex and controversial landscape. I think his leadership in this instance would have to be uh, ever ready and at top-notch level, Carl. He is someone who is often misunderstood in the Fijian contextual dynamic, but someone that commands respect. I said to him shortly after the announcement, you know, you're taking on such a mammoth task and truly he has 
taken on a job that no one in their right mind would uh, be envious of. So he's hoping that the majority of his 18 staff will be Fijian. I think this is exciting for those who have been pushing for local coach participation in international fixtures. So, yes, he's there to change and turn things around. Now, as for the assistant coaches who are Fijians, there's three of them who are Fijians. We've got Seni Serovakula, who's a former coach of the unbeaten Super W uh, champion, the Fijian and Drua. Look, a lot of people thought that this man would be left in the cold, especially after their somewhat controversial journey throughout the Super W, whereby not only uh, did he voluntarily step down, but a few others were stood down from the coaching staff with allegations as to the treatment of female players in the Fijian and Drua, one of which I named in my news uh, uh, previously in uh, around December that uh, Vital. Uh, was one of them. Uh, but however, some good news that Vitao had been added back into the Fijiana squad with his name cleared of wrongdoing. Look, Carl, Saramayan Bai, a man of excellent uh, character and reputation, of course, with a history of playing in the national team before switching to play in the Northern Hemisphere and, and Super Rugby circuit. In terms of life after rugby, I would consider him to be an expert with lived experience, Carl, a man who is exemplary as in as far as doing very well for himself looking at uh, micro-enterprise setups in the Fijian context for ex-players wishing to pursue farming and agriculture, which is, of course, a flourishing industry in Fiji, Carl. And then, of course, you've got Graham Dews. Uh, in November 2022, he was named the Fiji uh, Fords coach, a man who hails from Rotuma, was a member of the Fijian squad that entered the 2007 Rugby World Cup finals, playing in four matches and scoring the winning try in the 38-34 to 34 win over Wales, putting Fiji through their first uh, quarterfinal in 20 years, Carl. Yeah, look, it's fascinating stuff. And, and look, I mean, I think they've probably appointed the right men at the helm, but at the same time, they're going to have a, a really... Uh, a the challenging task ahead given it's the the World Cup later this year. Not a lot of time to prepare. I want to move on uh, just quickly. We've obviously got the Melanesian Bowl uh, happening happening tomorrow between the Fiji Hunters and the Kovati Silktails. What I found really interesting about that is the FNRL has actually assisted um, the Fiji uh, the Silktails in helping put that match together. Now, we know there's been a, a little bit of tension between the two sides in recent months. Could this mark a bit of a turning point in relation between the Silktails and the Fiji governing body, do you think? Yes, Carl. Relationships in the Pacific is embodied by so many things that can appear to the outside world to be complex and complicated. But most certainly, Carl, the relationship between FNRL and the KV2 Silk Tales will only look to improve and grow this year. I believe it's uh, timely. It's a relationship that needed to build bridges as one cannot do um, without the other. And it will take time to grow organically. And with uh, Wise Kativarata being at the helm of coaching, Aparosa Lutunolga, a high-ranking police officer, is the chair of the board, who is a sensible and strategic fellow. Uh, he's a planner and a perfect person to lead after taking over from No Porto. And as for um, uh, coaching director Kativarata, Kyle, he is, as we mentioned last week, he brings in an unbiased dynamic into this relationship. He knows all too well uh, what the previous historical dynamic was, and I believe, Kyle, he will be an important conduit in fixing things. 
Well, Tia, we've got one minute to go before we hit the news, so uh, I might just make my last question pretty brief. So much uh, happening in footy this week. The Melanesian Bowl, like you mentioned, the Fiji Sevens. What are you going to be watching? Uh, I'll be try like I'll be surfing through both, you know, like volcano surfboarding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's uh, look. Uh, I'm a little bit biased. I'm a massive rugby league fan, so I think I'll be tu- I'll be tuning into the uh, to the Hunters Silk Tails games. But uh, look, so much to watch. Tia, again, thanks very much for joining us, and I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. So good to be here. Thank you, Carl. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. I'll be back. Well, no, I won't be back. Sorry. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. We'll be back at the same time uh, on Monday morning, 6 a.m. PNG time. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3 p.m. PNG time. Stay tuned on ABC Radio because the news is next. Have a fantastic day.